Hello. What's good, folks? Blood Money Perez here. You are tuned in to episode one of the Damn That Noise podcast. We have started a podcast. I have started a podcast. So if you're familiar with damnthatnoise.com, it's a website. Cover lots of indie hip-hop, interviews, reviews, world premieres and singles, music videos, all that good shit. Um, Starting a podcast because why the fuck not? Everybody else is. Um, And I'm a nerd. I love talking about hip-hop. I love talking about the culture, the music, inspiration. So I figured I'd start hollering at people and pick their brains about... You know, their experiences, what started them, you know, wanting to jump into the culture and recording and all that good shit. Um, you know, for episode one, we got Tomorrow King's member, Sketch 185, his group, War Church, which is with Analog Tape Dispenser, who has the producer. Um, they recently released Gunship Diplomacy, which is an incredibly dope record. Um, and we kind of talk the inspiration for the record. We talk, uh, you know, influences for Sketch. We talk about how him and Analog Tape Dispenser met. We go over everything. Um, we had a really good discussion, about an hour and a half. Uh, Sketch is a good dude. I really enjoy talking with him. We're actually, this is just a part one. Um, we're going to go back and talk to Sketch again and actually go over the album more in depth, kind of a track by track, it sketches thoughts on what inspired each song, um, how we approached it, um, all that good stuff, just so we can kind of get some more detail on the album, because if you haven't heard it, it's a really good album, it is really content heavy, there's a lot, like a lot being said throughout the record, sketches no slouch when it comes to writing, man, and, and just rapid fire flows and just delivering some shit for you to stop and think about. It's a great album. Um, while we're talking about great albums, I want to encourage everybody to check out uh, the new release from uh, Premrock and Fresh Kills, Leave Intact, which uh, released on Herbnet, label out of Canada. It's a real dope project. He's got like Homeboy Sandman on there, Mocha Only, Noah 23. Um, great shit. Really good, really good record. Um, let's see. Uh, prolific who you might be familiar with uh, for Strange Famous. Um, He released his album uh, probably two weeks ago, I believe, called Dangerfield. He produced pretty much the entire thing. That's a really dope album. Uh, Lamont Manuel out of Tomorrow Kings also just released um, his album that's produced by Analog Tape Dispenser called Music to Feel Like Shit To, which I'm sure we can all kind of relate to. Um, That album is super fucking dope. Uh, my dude Blue out of Los Angeles teamed up with uh, Parisian producers Analogtronics, and they just dropped China, Cheetah's Running Wild in the City, as I think the actual title or the complete title. Um, lots of good music is coming out. Lots of good music came out. So definitely suggest you check those out. Um, you know, it's November 21st. I'm sitting in my car recording this. Uh, Donald Trump is still president-elect. They're still racist running around right now who feel like they got a free pass because his punk ass was elected and they're terrorizing people of color, people um, of the Muslim faith, transgender people, black men and women, just being just fucks overall. And it's the sad state of affairs that this is what's happening right now. But this is our country. 
if racism is surprising to you, if you're surprised to hear that you know we're a country full of racists, then you you aren't really awake. You aren't really paying attention because that shit's there. It was just wearing a different mask, and now the mask is off, and it's sad and it's disheartening. But now more than ever. Uh, is the time for us to kind of unite and say fuck all that and fight the power. Um, you know, just stay tuned, stay aware. Most importantly, stay aware, stay active, stay vocal. Don't be passive. Just because your skin's white and you benefit from having white skin doesn't mean you should sit by and let somebody else get terrorized or assaulted or harassed because they're wearing a hijab or they got a turban on or they're just black and standing on a corner or they're just a woman a black or brown woman standing on a corner you know or just a woman don't let that don't let that shit fly say something don't mean you got to get into a fist fight or wild out on somebody but just speak up that's our duty as humans to speak up and protect each other but um yeah anyway stepping off my soapbox damn that noise podcast episode one sketch 185 war church Tomorrow, Kings. Yeah, let's get it. Uh, Mark, Word, my buddy. Yeah. My buddy out here, Billy. What he manages Bailey's Tap Room, which is like one of the number one tap houses in America, or some shit like that. Like top five, top ten tap houses in the United States. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still got to get out that way. Yeah, out here, I. I bartend at Harlem Public and uh, in in Upper Harlem, and a place in Williamsburg called Cow and Clover that I helped launch. Uh, like, I actually work with Primrock. Oh, really? Yeah. That's how y'all are like place. super knit out there. You guys, Karma Kids, NASA, Elucid. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy, man, because because like I moved. Um, to New York two years ago, in which case, like, I was, you know, I'm part of uh, Tomorrow Kings, you know, kind of, you know, we, we do our thing, did our thing um, in Chicago, but I was bartending a lot of the time. And when I came out here, I, you know, I didn't run into it as much in Chicago, but when I came out here, a lot of my boys on the hip-hop scene are, are in the service industry, particularly bartenders. Okay. You know, like, I had some bartends, Primark bartends. Uh, I know there are a few other cats that, that bartend, you know. And, you know, like, you know, oh, I basically came out here a part of a scene, which, you know, I, was kind of a, I guess, a blessing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, because Nigger Rick Time Machine had already came out. And New Age Little Fing was already out. And McCrew had stuff already out, so on and so forth. And everybody, and we knew cats out here. So when we came out here, uh, I'm I'm roommates with uh, uh, three of the comic kids. With, with you know Googie? So, uh, Googie, Samurai Banana, and occasionally Gruff Line. Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah, so so you get like part of the crew in one house, the other part in, the, in another part of the hill, down the block. That's tight. Yeah, so it ended up being a tight-knit crew. I didn't realize how how closely connected everybody was out here because of the way uh, Tomorrow Kings and Chicago rap groups tend to run. Yeah, okay. So let's, like let's, let's rewind yeah. real quick. So Tomorrow Kings, how long has Tomorrow Kings been around and how did you guys all kind of come together? Because there's, <laughs> there's many of you. 
Okay. In that case, it might take me five minutes to explain. Yeah. Uh, but the best, but the initial, the easiest way to start the conversation is um, we became a crew eight and a half years ago. Okay. I have to say, I have to start it like that, particularly because um, I've known Gilly at seven since I was 16. Okay. 16, 17. Uh, I'm 31 now. So I've known him about 14, 15 years. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I have known Malakel 13 years. I've known I'd be focused in some way or another. Uh, 10 years, colossal structure, the same. And everybody in the crew has their version of it. And it's seven of us, and we're all like outliers on certain crews. And some of us have been in rap groups with each other over the years. And right. I used to scribble jam a lot. Like I was scribble jam battles, like regional champ in Chicago twice. Oh, word. Okay. And, yeah, and I was in Scribble Jam's only three way MC battle. Sucks because Deuce Leader won, but I got a couple lines on it. Um, you know, no diss to Deuce Leader. I just would have preferred that. It would have put me in the semifinals, which would have been awesome. It was always right. one of my dreams to battle with Scribble Jam. Um, yeah, that's that le a legendary venue. It's yearly. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, I, since I was like 14, I wanted to be in Scribble Jam. By the time I was 2021, 20, I was actually in it. I know. Was the champ in Chicago, you know, and that's a tough division. And, you know, like, at one point made it through a couple people. They felt kind of butthurt, you know, that that I won. But you, when you actually uh, watch the tapes, I had way better lines. But that's, that's just me talking. Maybe I did. You know, I'll let everybody else judge. But one of the prelims in which I didn't win, Fresco won. What's that? Once I, you know, was knocked out, I started drinking. Walked okay. up to my point, I'd be focusing at one point, just saying, yo, look, man, you see all this, you got MC battle, you got all these MCs in here, you got this production battle thing going, you got 50 albums that could happen. Right. But people don't cipher anymore outside of shows. People don't connect like that. Like, they, they see each other, are silent to each other, then talk online. So you got all, right. and you and you and you're running into like a very particular ego-driven part of underground production where everybody wanted to charge X amount of money to very broke folks in order to get in order to get their beats off. Right. You know, beats that you know beats feature things that we just couldn't get cleared, you know, by anybody. And right. I was just like, yo, if these guys actually got together, it was just like, yo, I like what you do. We should we should do we should do a track together. We should work on something and split the money afterwards. You'd have a lot of records. Um, the Chicago Reader, which is like the Village Voice, and everybody and every city has their version, like kind of the liberal arts journalist paper of Chicago. Right, right, right. List right. All the, yeah, list all, yeah, list all the shows. And rap shows, A, because Chicago's racist, B, because of just the way things are, uh, are few and far between every week. I was like, realistically, if all these people join did things connected, you'd have rap shows every night. You'd have a lot of records. You'd have a lot of connections, which is now happening. And, you know, I just continued to drink and think about nothing. I'd be focused, on the other hand, took it to heart, put a list of rappers together that he wanted to put in the group. It called all of us. It called all of us to see if we were down. And he did. We were all down. And pretty much the crew didn't fully solidify, but but um, kind of came together on um, uh, in 2008. I remember particularly because 
me and Riff Napalm from Chicago, Glocko Sport, Nacrobats, whatever. Yeah. Me and him and uh, me, uh, one of my best friends, consider my big brother. Me and him and GR, the general manager of St. House, uh, 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 fairly known photographer, had a loft that we were ready. And we were throwing a party for my graduation. I graduated okay. in 2007, but because of the way my art school was, I didn't have a ceremony in 2008. And that's when all of us came together. So in 2008, we came together as a crew, you know, found the mutual overlaps, realized that Cannibal Ox was one of the groups outside of the city we all had in common. Rubber Room within Chicago. Y'all came uh, from different places. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. I've done a lot of shows. I've done a lot of shows with the Opus. Those are homies of mine. Yeah, you know, big homies. Older than uh, Very good dudes. Focus. And now that I'm getting older, because I've been doing shows with them um, since I was 20, 21. And they have, a decent amount of, they have a decent amount of age on me. And I say that because now I kind of understand their reserve at their age. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of right. cool, you know, upon reflection. But, yeah, like we had similar influences, so on and so forth. But it all started eight years ago, you know. And it's been, it's been pretty interesting because there's this weird seven-part, eight-part Venn diagram. You know right. what I'm saying? In which case, you see where everybody's connection lays. You know, it's, it's been cool. I've been fortunate. They're my favorite yeah. rappers in Chicago. It's hard for them not to be. Those are all, all those guys individually and all of you guys individually are really dope. Like, I I think you and uh, Lamont are probably two of my favorites. And Ivy Focus is super dope. Gyroscope, like, those guys are all really good. All you, you uh, guys are... You are super dope, but I did sleep originally because I remember um, I, I started off writing for Uggs Mag, and I think Eleven had interviewed yeah. all of you guys. Yeah, and yeah, that's right, I, yeah. Yeah, I saw the interview, and I was like, and it was like, oh, you know, seven or eight-man crew out of Chicago, and I think at the time I was like, I don't feel, I don't feel like reading this interview. I'll read it at some point. And I was like, yeah. uh, I'll check it out later, but then I think it was like NASA or Breakup. Somebody had retweeted yeah, the the album, and I was like, "Huh, okay." So Eleven interviewed him. NASA is, you know, checking it out. Breakups. I, I'm gonna give it yeah. a shot, and I was like, "Holy fuck, these guys are super dope!" And immediately for me, maybe because of just the Chicago connection, it reminded me of the first time hearing Rubber Room. Um, oh yeah, Archite Archite Technology is like one of my all-time favorite albums. Like, I have the debate of that being better than Fun Crusher Plus, which is difficult to say you know like i mean like I, I can see that it, which is hard yeah, to that's... say like I, I you know tomorrow i might say funk rusher is better but those albums those two albums in particular were like super influential for me and like really groundbreaking to me at the time of just indie hip-hop so you guys definitely kind of brought that rubber room mole men those real dark damp dusty grimy ass days of like chicago hip-hop um, other other than Rubber Room, what other Chicago artists did you come up with to or did you kind of pull inspiration from? Freedom from oppression, freedom from pain, freedom from being confined. N-I-G-G-E-R, niggas, I'm the broken window prison. It's a distressing message, hundred and fakes to a hundred-side war room, written as tattoos, struggling purchase under a man more. I read plan to hurt a man for the slaughter under the act of protesting. No doubt, no doubt. But like, 
A lot of those four were like big, very big influences on me. Rubber Room definitely on the song High John the Conqueror. There's a reference to Rubber Room where uh, they have an album called Gothic Architecture. I believe it's EP. It came okay. out uh, before Architechnology. Okay. So I got a line where I say American Gothic Architecture, like combine American Gothic, the paint American right. Gothic, Gothic Architecture. Like, that was just kind of my nod to them, because, like, they were big influences. Uh, yeah. Well, definitely. I used to be Robust Hype Man. Uh, DJ White Lightning is still one of my favorite producers from Chicago. Uh, me and him yeah. worked together and worked on our first version of New Age Middle Finger um, from, like, when I was 20 to 23. Okay. Uh, before I met uh, Analog Tape Dispenser. Uh, from there, Juice, Bark Hill, Ryan Fest, Mass Hysteria, definitely. Um, Mike Check, who I just knew through street shit, like street okay. battles. Because like when I when I first started, like it was one of those things where you, you know how it is in every city. If your hip hop scene goes far enough, there are guys who influence you, who you may only have a record or two from, but you saw them on the street, or you right. saw them on stage. Right. So you know what I'm saying. So you so you get dudes like that, and so you get so for me you had guys like Nizem. Enzyme Nine, uh, Mike Check, Chaos. Right. You know, try to think. Well, I also had his records like uh, Rusty Chains, Matlock. You know, dudes like dudes like that. You know, this cat Rock Rock. Uh, dudes like that influenced the style. Had uh, a brother Rip Napalm. Uh, you know, uh, okay, Steady Serve. You know, Word. so Steady Surf, Thought 4, like, you know, for me, that's the kind of, like, what it, and Psycho Drama, definitely Psycho Drama. You know, Twister a little bit, but definitely Psycho Drama. Twister, yeah. They're probably, like, I, they're probably one of the most respected rappers from Chicago ever. Some people would probably say that's the best rapper from Chicago ever. ever. Psycho Drama? Yeah, it'd be a bit, like, for Chicago dudes, It'd be a debate between them and typical cats if you can find somebody well-rounded enough to know both of them. Yeah, and that's funny because I, I, I'm kind of a, a, a rap nerd to an extent. I'm 39, so I'm older, so I like okay. first yeah. Chicago hip-hop I ever heard was Tongue Twister when he did the uh, Flick of the Tongue and Peace Sign yeah. and all that before he was rolling, you know, with like Do or Die and those dudes and kind of switched it up a little yeah. bit. But I don't think I ever heard of psychodrama before. I know like and that's the Illa, and those dudes. But yeah, oh, that's yeah, the funny part. If you've heard Adrenaline Rush, his album, the title yeah. track is featuring Young Buck for psycho for psychodrama. Young oh, okay. Buck is the most is one of the most revered rappers in the history of Chicago hip hop. Okay, flat out like like his rap style is super particular. A very deep voice, rapid fire flow. Like, it's excellent at, like, knocking out, like, a, a dope statement in a small blurb. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, right. This, this approach is awesome. Incredible. The, last, the only time recently I've heard somebody with a style like his that wasn't initially citable as his is, is Designer. First time I heard Designer, his song Panda, I was like, sounds just like Young Buck. Oh, I've heard. People like, yo. They're like, yo, this sounds like future. Like, it sure as fuck doesn't. This sounds like Young Buck. It's a rapid fire flow with the same intonation, 
and like uh like melody. when he threaded through the beat yeah and melody but designer just didn't have lyrics but it was exact same style so when i heard the kanye co-signed him i was like of course he co-signed him it sounded like young buck ah that's you know okay. interesting you know that's, and yeah, like yeah. when i bring it when i bring it up to people like captain off of chicago and they say no i'm like you act like you're young stop acting like you're young if you're over 30 you know you know better Right, you know what I'm saying? Don't 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 talk about don't talk about don't have an understanding of the history of music and pretend that you're 17. That's that doesn't right. matter for anybody, right. you know. Right. Like, right. well, yeah, yeah. Like those those are my big influences. You know what I'm saying? Not to improve, but those are my big influences from Chicago. Right. Otherwise, Mega Hertz, Company Flow, Organized Confusion, Asap Rock, Jay Z, Champ yeah. Flow. Mike and I, Spoon Iodine, I uh, Word, yeah, good good, good freestyle fellowship connects there. That's all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, can you find, when I heard that, I heard that at like 17, 16, 17, Word. on yeah. a mixtape. Um, uh, one of my boys had, like, uh, Taiwan Davis of the Nacrobat School, which is a very important school to Chicago. One of the two biggest underground, like, street crews in the city, it was like them and Second Ill Nature, well, them, Second Ill Nature, Ill State Assassins. Like, those are like two South Side crews, West Side crew, that you had like the various crews, you know, like X-Men, which was mostly graffiti crew, and it came in New York, but it has a lot of people in Chicago, and had a lot of rappers in it. But like, Taiwan Davis did this mixtape, had a bunch of mixtapes on the DJ Vibe, and the mixtape was cool, I thought it was right, I'm not a big Jay Dilla fan, so it was like a little too smooth for me. It was things along that. Okay. And he does, then he has Can You Find as the last song on there. And it just completely destroys everything. Mike and I's first verse, I mean, first, his verse, just ripped my head apart. I reconstructed it. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember the first I remember, time I heard um, Park Bench people. That was my first. My, oh, yeah, yeah. My homie in high school showed me, like, yo, you got to listen to Freestyle Fellowship. And I was like, okay. And I hadn't heard um, to whom it may concern yet, so that that wasn't even the picture for me yet. And yeah, Park Bench was the first yeah. thing, and I I liked jazz already, so that immediately like hooked me. But then it was hearing the Project Load compilation. Um, uh, and, okay. Like, the, the song. Have you ever heard the Project Load compilation? I've heard I've heard stuff from it. Like I can't say I've heard every single song. Yeah, <laughs> but you know I got a lot of homies from out west. Yeah, there's some dope shit out there, and then some like kind of like, eh, it, it's it's okay, you know. I guess it's kind of like, it's L.A. hip hop, so kind of some gangsterisms, but it's not well, like kind of that rapping about nothing but staying on beat. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of I the gangstery, kind of the gangstery shit that wasn't too much of my thing. Like, it was okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a song in there called Jurassic. That song, if you oh yeah, you, Jurassic. Uh, that song. There yeah, were all the cats on there. Yeah, that song is bonkers, and that was that, and then I heard the heavyweights from the freestyle Inner City Griots, and yeah, yeah. oh yeah, Mike and I, so yeah, Mike. Big Fat Beat, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Volume Ten from from Project Blood is one of my all time favorite rappers, and he was on that song, and oh, yeah, yeah, He's a beat. Volume Ten, Cold Iodine I, is one of my favorite man. Yeah, my one of my homies just uh, released an album last year that had Spoon on it on a couple of songs. No they live near each other. No shit. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, what's the name of the record? The the artist's name is Kair. 
Um, I can't think okay. of the name of his album off the top of my head, but yeah, he's like neighbors with Spoon. Like they kick it, and Spoon and Toast are both on the that, album. Man. I will. Yeah, I'll hit you with the link. Yeah. Because um, listening to um, Antichrist and um, just the Bill Doctor Color version yeah. over the last like four years made me rethink my structure of writing. Just because oh, of like. Just listening to how he um, would, at the drop of a hat, completely switches uh, cadences and schemes. I'd already right. been try- doing that at a certain level, you know, on New Age Middle Finger and with the Tomorrow Case stuff. But after hearing that, I was like, oh, man, I got to gotta wrap it up. And, like, yeah. you know, like finally hearing, locking in, knowing who he was on the song, and, like, kind of searching for all the stuff that he did, the limited amount of stuff I could find, it, it had a profound effect on my writing. Yeah, Spoon yeah. was is very dope, and I mean he's he's dope on the newer stuff too. He's still Spoon. He's just an older Spoon. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, same with like Peace and and Micah. Those guys kind of never never lose never lose the uh, the cra- the the love for the craft. Micah can still rap his his ass off, and so can AC. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, Chicago hip hop is probably some of my favorite shit. Just kind of coming up, and still now, like I, you know. There's still a lot and of stuff. Yeah, you guys are super dope. I dig. Um, that, you know, no name. She's super tight. I like McJenkins a lot. I always love yeah. Galapagos, Galapagos Ford, like just Quell and, you know, uh, typical cats and Quasar. Yeah. Quasar is one of the. Yeah, Quas- me. Uh, Quasar is a huge influence. He's actually he's actually from my neighborhood. We, we're actually from the same neighborhood. Oh, where? He's dude, from the project. He's. When he dropped the What's walking up? through walls, oh yeah, holy oh, yeah. fuck! I probably sat down with my dude and we just listened to that. Like this guy is like on some feral manch, like rhyme scheme, oh, yeah. and, like alliteration, just the patterns and his vocal tone. Quasar is, is oh, yeah, like I was, I was a big fan. Man, I was a big fan of him. Out of limits, like the yeah. whole out of limits. Well, hey. Yeah. The crew out of limits are all from my my, ne- my neighborhood. We're all from Bronzeville. What a uh, cats in the hood call it the low end. Especially okay. people from out, well, not from my neighborhood, because a lot of them, for reasons that are bad, don't know shit about my neighborhood. It's like the, yeah. it's like the Harlem of Chicago. It's where okay. black folks started out for Funny Branch, where yeah. economically that's where all the businesses were in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, uh, leading into the 50s. He's from the projects down the street. Kelsey and the rest of the crew is just from further depth south, but all from the same neighborhood. And it's crazy. It's like organized confusion except a little more gangster. And very heavy in the science fiction. Yeah, you know, Outer like, Limits? I, yeah, Outer Limits, like, Quasar, I remember my favorite song when it was Alien Race. And um, people, some reason, people love Desert Eagle. And I love Desert Eagle on that on that record. But it was Outer Limits that did it. I mean, it was uh, Alien Race that did it for me. The whole want to fuck around and get sodomized with dynamite shit I'll slaughter you or whoever the fuck you sound like yeah. you know what I'm saying I was you know that whole structure it, yeah. it, like that that was ill like Quasar that's, that's one of that's one of my big brothers I ain't spoke to him in a while but you know yeah, that was, that's one of the big homies who, who always put me on game whenever I saw him I've done a lot of shows those, yeah he's one of those dudes that when you hear him for the first time if you're like it a, if you're just a student of the the art of rhyming, like just as a even if just from a fan, 
you hear Quasar and you're like, holy fuck, this dude's on a different level. But if you're oh, like, yeah. an M- uh, if you're an MC too, and you know how to write, and you know what it's like to structure a song and bars and multiple yeah. and all that, like it's even a different yeah. appreciation because it's just like this dude's on another plane. Like he Quasar is super dope, man. Um, oh yeah, now, he's one of those guys, man. Where you speak to him and you realize that he's his mind is elsewhere at that moment, and you know that could be annoying. But when you hear him rap, you realize. That's kind of where his mind is. Like, right, right. one song I would point to is a Grace Cole song on the Greymaker record called Machine. Yeah. Where they both they both handle their business, all of a sudden Quasar goes on, and it kind of transforms into a different song for a moment. Right. <clears throat> yeah, shout out to them, too. Like, like um, they're good dudes. Yeah, oh, Henri Osborne so, and JFK? Yeah, yeah. Uh, me and JFK still need to do a song together. I, I still need to reach out to him. That would be tough. Just I haven't found a beat before. Yeah, those two, your two voices together would be tight. I like JFK. Yeah, JFK, um, he's the homie. And uh, one of the best conversations I ever had about rapping life, I had with Henry Osborne. Um, so, uh, before, um, back when him and Zavala were first putting together Dark Time Sunshine. Oh, yeah, okay. Because, because me and Crush Con said it. Uh, the founder of Dark Time Sunshine we worked on a bunch of music. Never got released. Uh, a chunk of it never got recorded. But we performed a bunch of it. And I was, that was going on. Tomorrow Kings was forming same time Dark Time Sunshine was. Because, um, Zavala just, um, started working on Sleep after the Scribble Jam beat battle. And like, his, his boys saying confusion kind of linked them all up. And they were coming out to Chicago and I was doing shows with them. At one time in, um, Zavala's like hometown. We had a show, and me and Ari sat for like an hour plus talking. To this day, still sticks with me, and more so now that I'm older. Some of the things she was telling me now kind of resonates in a particular way because I'm now enough of a, a grown man for it to hit. So I always, right. have, so I, I always have respect for uh, Grace Cole. Yeah, those cats are dope, and especially out here in like Portland, Seattle, Old Dominion's like the Wu Tang yeah. of the Northwest West Coast, and very, very oh, yeah, without a doubt. Loves. Um, Dude, I, I love Sleep, man. Sleep is one of the fastest, clearest rappers I've ever, ever heard spit. Sleep is insane. Oh, uh, that, 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 that man is crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's yeah. talk about the record. Gunship yes. Diplomacy. Yeah. Yes. Super dope record. I really dig uh, thank the, you. The, t- the teaming of you and Analog Tape Dispenser. His... His production is super dope. Like uh, making beats and knowing what it takes to put put beats together, he's he's yeah. really dope. And then the way you guys fit together is like no lie, just very reminiscent of that like Chuck D Bomb Squad. Just like the intensity yeah. of voice and delivery and content matched by the intensity of like production to really tie everything together and, and just really kind of express the seriousness and heaviness of everything. Yeah, that's man, that's. Uh, thank you, man. That, that's my brother. Like, I, I'll be honest. Like, the record would have probably came out a month or two earlier, but we were both saving money um, for his wedding. Oh, word. Um, yeah, because <laughs> um, I, I I wrote yeah. Congrats, uh, congrats to him and his wife Megan. Um, like, like a month and a half, or almost like two and a half months before the record came out. 
in August, we all went down to Belize, and I was his best man at his way. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's my brother right there. Like we like we've been we've been working on music together uh pretty much for ten years. You know, a chunk of it, not living in the same city, but like like that's first time I heard him. My best friend went, Yo, this dude makes the beats that you always wanted to rap on. Y'all need to keep in touch. Like there's a whole story about how that happened if you want to hear it. I don't even know if he knows it because I'm always scared to tell the full story. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. But there, yeah, basically, and I, I might catch some flight, but he's married, so I'll deal with it. Um, <clears throat> there was this girl named Nikki. Me and her are still cool. We're all still really cool. She lives in Germany now. She grew up in Germany uh, for the most part. Uh, went to SEIC in Chicago. Randomly ran into her at a party. After me and my boys played at this uh, graffiti exhibition called the Meeting the Spouse, uh, me and three dudes I didn't really know. Well, one dude I went to high uh, college with, one dude we met right there. We're trying to find a wall, and one of the homies, because he thought we were toys, uh, would wouldn't give us a wall. Get finally, yeah, you can paint right here. So we went over there. Shit, did a did a nice little production. We were actually the first photo, one of the first five photos on the Meeting the Spouse website for Chicago. Weird as that. What one the be- one the craziest mural, but we actually did our thing. I'm proud of that. There there were better there were better pieces, but shit was really cool. But that night we went to some house party, and I met Nikki. We kept in touch, tried to holler at her. She went down, left it alone. Uh, half a year later, eight nine months later, see her again. Say what's up to her at this cat Stoney's party. She's with her new boyfriend Ponch. Ponch is drunk as fuck wearing a Boys of Canada t-shirt. I'm a fan of Boys of Canada. Uh, she's like, yeah, uh, uh, Ponch makes beats. And and we're talking, he's like, man, if you like Boys of Canada, yeah, I'll make beats for you. But he's talking, but, you know, he he's dating the girl that I like. So I was like, man, fuck you. Um, <laughs> fast forward, maybe four months later, she tells me about her house party, her boyfriend's home, home uh, housewoman's party. I'm like, I ain't going to that. And, you know, I was kind of one of the party guys on my scene. Like, I didn't throw parties, but because I was always out, everybody knew to get a touch of me to find out about parties. Right. I was one of those dudes. It was like, it was, I was, there was like, probably like 20 of us. But you, you know what I'm saying, depending on the style of party. But all of a sudden, I sent an address to my boy Drew. This is the way I'm going to try to remember. I didn't get his dude's address. My boy Drew gets there and goes, yo, man, I'm here, but I don't know anybody. I'm like, cool, we'll be there in about 15 minutes. I was looking like it's straight. So we roll there. It's Nick. It's Nikki's boyfriend's housewarming party. We roll in. We chill. We brought our beer. Hey, take care. We brought our beer. I'm I'm sitting next to a punch, and I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck. I don't know. I'm standing next to this motherfucker. What? And I'm like, oh, so I heard you make beats, and he's drunk but excited. He's like, you want to hear him? And it's me and my boy Choir, kind of right there. Choir is like. One of my best friends, uh, dude I went to high school with, one of my favorite rappers, period. Uh, me and him developed our rap styles uh, post-high school together. So if you ever hear him, you might hear a little bit of me and vice versa. We're Where's standing the there. Ponch comes up, plugs in his record, plugs in his laptop, presses play. The beat goes, and me and Choir just go, oh, and just go the fuck off, grinding. 
and we go to Five Peaks. And right then, we were instant friends. Punch is the high school nickname mm. of Analog Tape Dispenser. Punch, that's and funny. Yeah, because in Spanish class, they asked him to um, get a name. He chose Poncho, that shortened the punch. I'm actually the only person outside of, like, his high school friends that still call him that. And, like, from that point on, we used to go to his crib, drink 40s, work on music. Like, he put me on, uh, like, I put him on to a bunch of, like, crazy-ass underground rap that he hadn't heard before. He was already privy yeah. to a bunch of dudes. Like, he actually sent K to I beats that would end up on New Age Middle Finger. And K to I ended up producing a track on New Age Middle Finger, but he never, you know, hollered back. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so that's kind of funny. I just want to put that in there and Kiki has seasons. But basically, um, working and working on music, you know, he put me up on Square. Well, I knew about Square Push. He put me up on Amon Tobin, which is one of his uh, favorite producers, Venetian Snares. We both bugged out about Aphex Twin. He used to get drunk to Animal Collective. Uh, oh, yeah. Late Explosions in the Sky. Later, Dark, A God Speed You, Black Emperor. Uh, some that we both share connection with, always trade right. music, you know, doing a bunch of shows, but like that's how we connect, and that's kind of how I sound for Because at any given moment when we when I was worried about being not being hip hop enough, my boy choir would be like, man, fuck that. Or when I was worried about X, Y, and Z, or he was worried that, you know, this wouldn't work in a rap format because it had too much structure to it, and it didn't let a rapper flow freely. I'm like, man, fuck that. I I I'll figure it out. And right. we just kind of developed over the last 10 years like that. Like, he sends me a beat, and I don't ask him to sequence it. You, you know, so whatever sequence, yeah, whatever sequence he gives me, that's what I write to. The only thing I actually did sequence was all my favorite red light bars are almost gone. Okay. Like, that with Teddy Faye. Like, that was the record, in which case, I actually had it in my head after hearing the beat. And that's when a- he heard the record... It sounds completely different than what he um, expected, or what he what he is the same. Yeah, no, that's that's the record, man. Like it's five years, man. Like, like it's it's crazy. Like we lost touch for a moment, got back in touch, and come to find out both of us blasting off political shit and through social media and becoming very like vocal and aggressive. You know what right. I'm saying? And like, yeah, if you. If you listen to it, like, the record kind of reflects, it's kind of a conversation between us that's always continuously going, you know what I'm saying, just as a, that's the nature of the friendship, but the nature of uh, society at large and how we kind of view it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And, I mean, it's a political record. I mean, gunship diplomacy kind of speaks to America's version of diplomacy overseas and, we roll out with yes. tanks and, and gunships and soldiers and say, hey, we want to, you know, come bring peace. But we, we draw yeah. pieces, you know. And, yeah, it's one, of, it's one of those things. I was listening to NASA's podcast this morning and just kind of discussing people making comments like, oh, you know, Trump just won. He's going to be president. It's going to be a good thing for making, you know, art and music. And NASA's perspective uh, yeah. of like, now nah, that's a bullshit thing which I kind of agree with his perspective in that good music is good music. You can make political hip-hop in any climate. And, you know, Obama has been a great president. You wrote and you created gunship diplomacy through those times. But yeah. it's 
super relevant for now, and it's not because it was overly focused on one specific political agenda or certain thing. It's just living life right now in our culture, I think. It's hard not to have a thought or a feeling about the things that are going on in our community, especially from, you know, the your perspective as a black man in America. Yeah. You know, that's... I mean, like, uh, sorry, uh, please. Um, but, yeah, man, like, it's, 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 it's crazy. Like, a lot of the record was written... I was actually in fear of how soft my generation was just. As weird right. as I might sound. Because you'll hear it on the first record of Good Amount. I'll read, read, read. I'll talk about it a little bit. It was just, um, like, it's a lot of things. So, so to say that it's one thing would be unfair. But, like, there was there was just always worry. Like, I always felt like there was something bubbling under the surface. And one thing that has happened in the last eight years, I, we were being told that we were too aggressive. We were too rough. Like, what we what we were trying to talk about and warn people about, was an antiquated thought. We right. were past that. We were, we were post that. Like, we're post-racial. I'm like, don't tell me that when I'm traveling the country. Right. You know, right. we're, getting to, yeah, we're getting to a point in which we're, like, almost post-political correct as a concept. You see what I'm saying? Oh, no, like, I, I say yeah. that because, I say that because political correctness, certain respect, is starting to shoot people in the kneecap. You know what I'm saying? Not, in the, not the idea of, being respectful. One should be respectful. But the idea of constant oversight in order to uh, safeguard people's slight sensitivity. You right, still live like in the world. Right. People say, you know, Oh, you can't say you can't say fuck the police or call cops pigs. That's disrespectful. They're good cops. Yeah. And they're bad cops, but you know, no, I'm not gonna be yeah. politically correct for that because yeah. until until the good cops start checking the bad cops and calling them assholes and murderers, then fuck the police. You're a bunch of pigs. Yeah. You know what yeah. it is? What that, it is huh? Yeah, you're right. And there's also like this thing, I don't know if you've heard it, like the black the black cop theory or the black cop minor state where because of how racist the cops are around you, how aggressive the cops are around you towards black folks, you have to be as a as a brother well, sister, you have to be twice as aggressive, aggressive as to make them think that you are on their side. Right. You're and not I've playing favorite. And I've seen it. Yeah. And I've seen oh, yeah. it. You know what I'm saying? You know, I've been involved in it. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, you get things like that. And that isn't the only sector of uh, human interaction that exists in. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I've talked about it a lot in social media, talked about it on the album where... A lot of us grew up with people older than us. By people, I don't mean just grandparents. I mean our neighbors, our parents' age, or people 10 years, our seniors, telling us we want shit. I had a teacher, a math teacher, Miss Hunter, at Stephen A. Douglas Elementary School, tell, basically tell our entire class that we weren't going to mount it and do it repeatedly. Damn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and that gets and I, and I went, yeah. And I went to the grade school named after the dude that ran against Lincoln. How you like that? Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? The neighborhood I'm from, black people call it Bronzeville. It's called Douglas because of Fort Douglas, which was there in the Civil War. But yeah, you, but that just the position right there, you know what I'm saying? Like it was a POW camp. 
you, but you get shit like that where like all of that creates a tension and there's a certain level of passivity that kind of arose under Obama. It's not his fault, but it was people right. who um, felt they had, at least to me, felt they had a break from having to be politically uh, minded. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah they're like, sure. my president, like, my president's black. I don't need to worry about that. The world's getting better. Like, yeah, but that kid just got shot down the street and the cops still is getting off on Right. You know what I'm saying? But one of my sisters ex boyfriend. I ain't gonna talk about the motherfucker too much. I don't like him. But he got shot at shot twelve times by cops who chased him. Damn. And he got a, a high money settlement. He didn't get justice. He got because it was just too blatant, he got the closest thing he could get as money to keep him quiet. This man will forever for the rest of his life, go to sleep and pay. Right, for being black. You understand? Yeah, for being black. Well, he was involved with a bunch of shit, but, like, the reason why he wasn't able to get justice being black and he wanted to get just the cops. And when I tell somebody, when I would tell somebody something like that, they go, well, you know, things are changing, you know, X, Y, and Z. Now, everybody's starting to sober up after the party, the hangover's hit. All that passivity uh, didn't lead to education or conversion to all those people that felt displaced, you know? Right. Because they're racist, they're ignorant, but it didn't lead to that. And we're starting to deal with this. Like, honestly, that record wasn't created even in mind of Trump winning or Clinton right. winning. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that's the, right. that's the crazy part. But, like, I've, I've spent five years working on that record. I've rewritten almost all the songs, you know, at least once or twice. But... I heard, I listened to the album again on Wednesday and everything feels different. Right. You know? Right. You know what I'm saying? And it, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you know, it's troubling times. It's, uh, you know? it, it definitely still brings times. I think, like, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, but my skin's white. Yeah. My dad, my dad is Puerto Rican. Well, he's my stepdad, but he raised me since I was three. He's a black Puerto Rican. Yeah. yeah. My mom's a okay. white Puerto Rican. My dad's a black Puerto yeah. Rican. My brother, my brother is 11 years younger than me. He's a black Puerto Rican. So I grew okay. up in the Bronx until I was 11. You know, and NASA and I okay. were talking about this on Twitter of, like, black PRs, white PRs, like, and how I was delineating, mm -hmm. like, the difference. And he's like, oh, that's funny. Every New Yorker I know that's Puerto Rican just considers themselves black. And to really? an extent, that, that's, a, yeah, and to an extent, that's how I grew up. Where like we grew up saying that we grew up saying the N word. I don't say it now because I'm 39 years old and I have a better understanding of like the history of that. And I have slave blood in yeah. my family line. Like my great 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 grandmother was a slave in Puerto Rico, and yeah. married married her owner and became free. But was she really free? Is questionable. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, just the history of all that. And so I grew up experiencing a very specific kind of racism and when we moved mm. from new york to california to the bay area walking with my mom and my dad mexicans not knowing that my dad was puerto rican and spoke spanish and not knowing my mom was puerto rican and spoke spanish saying racist shit white people saying racist yeah. shit you know what i mean thinking that it's yeah. a white woman with a black with a black husband and mixed kids and x y and z and it's like you grew up with that. You hold on to that. You grew up in systems of oppression. You grew up seeing systems of oppression. You grew up hearing yeah. family members oppressed. And it's like you can't be in your 30s or be an adult 
and think like it's great Obama became president. He's a black man who's president. That's fucking amazing. That's history. But it's also eight years of black men being murdered by police and women being murdered by police. Yeah. Like, that has become like, more and more prevalent. Yeah, so, and, and for years I, I had battle tests on that concept, man. Where people just wouldn't people just wouldn't accept that things, you know, as much as things change, things stay the same. Yeah, it's you know, we, got, we got we got better at dressing up our racism is what happened and I think Trump yeah. winning Trump winning has allowed people to take the costumes off. Yeah, man, and, and, there, and like there have been things, man, like you don't mind me saying, because even then I would be interested in how you weigh in on this. You know, in regards to because everything kind of folds back into the record. You know what I'm saying? Because there's, like, like I, I have to transcribe the record, and the lyrics will be up soon. There are over 8,000 words on the album. Yes, it's dead. So, so, so there's a lot of stuff on there. But there was yeah, this one sure. incident that always stuck with me in Chicago that happened in the gay community. You know, I, I, like, I, I go over to Boys Town for Philly Cheesesteaks, uh, one of the best comic book shops um, in the city is over there. Uh, late night spot where you get drunk, uh, you know, before you go home is over there. Whatever, right. whatever, clubs, so on and so forth. Where I'm going with it is there were a lot of fights and robberies over there, and there were a lot of brothers involved in it, or at least said to be involved in it. Bear in mind that Syracuse used to pick up uh, his victims for one of the uh, most popular game robbers in Chicago. But outside of that, when all that started to bubble up to a point that people paid attention to it, even the gay community in Chicago started telling black people to go back to where they came from. You know what I'm saying? And what you start yeah. to realize, like, there's so much of this shit in our culture that it permeates seemingly impermeable elements. You know what I'm saying? You're yeah. talking, talking about music, clubs, that only play music made by gay black men. Right. Well, maybe not only, but largely. Or right. came from that. In which case, they're still telling people to go back. And you're talking about two seemingly liberal sectors. This country, there's a heavy... Like, this country, for the first time in a long time, even before Bush, is finally getting to see what it really looks like. Right. <clears throat> right. You know what I'm saying? Now people can't hide it. Right. It's hard to escape because now you got people. I love the, I don't know if you watched Saturday Night Live. Which yeah, on I it. thought he Yeah. And the sketch, he does a sketch where he's with a bunch of white friends watching the election results. And oh, I haven't seen it yet. In. Yeah, and they're just like kind of baffled. Like, you know, people, I think white people and white women and <laughs> just that, you know, non-marginalized but liberal and consider themselves open and non-racist being so baffled like oh my god america is racist you know or america's you know this and it's like you see 53 percent of women white women voted for somebody who is a sexual predator and marginalized and victimized women but they still voted for him and that's just like a whole separate set of oppression and and yeah. you know and segregate but the segregation of well he might be a sexual predator and he might be a rapist and he might be a sexist, but that's okay because he wants to protect my rights as a white person. Yeah. And we're yeah. so separated and as, as people that there's that difference where you could be victimized, you could be gay bashed, you could be, you know, oppressed as a gay man or a woman or a trans male or a woman, 
you know, in this society. Yeah. But if you're a white trans male or a white gay man or a white gay woman, there's still that whole other set of racism. And it's interesting to see marginalized people be bigoted or discriminate against other marginalized people. We've been so set up to fight against each other by that white male supremacy that we have a difficult yeah. time seeing we're all that the equality is there. It really is not this made up idea of you're black, I'm white, you're, you know, Mexican, I'm Puerto Rican. Like this is a system of oppression that was created to separate us. This is like yeah. a a living, breathing version of the Tower of Babylon. Like someone decided we can't have all of you working together, we're gonna break you up and make you fight each other. Oh yes. Oh, without a doubt. You know, it's man. It, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy, you know, thinking about even the psychology behind a lot of it. Like, for example, Caitlyn Jenner probably voted for Trump. That's the power of white supremacy in America. A transgender man, who a uh, woman, excuse me, who a lot of his life was married to a Middle Eastern woman. Somebody from the Middle East, more or less. Right. That's where right. Armenia. That's where Armenia is from. They're not white. They're they are they're Middle Eastern. Right. They're close to the Asian. Kardashians are not white. You only know that if you look at a map. Right. You know what I'm saying? It has two black son-in-laws. Right. Both for Donald Trump. Yep. That's the power of white supremacy in this goddamn country. Yeah, and that's the power you know what of I'm white male supremacy too. And the idea that you know my. Yeah. My, my wife was saying, like, you know, the the frustration of, of Caitlyn Jenner specifically and being a rich, white, affluent male, you know, and being transgender, and I totally respect and appreciate that she is and did live life yeah. struggling with being transgender and not knowing how to deal with it, but she also yeah. lived, lived life as an affluent, well-to-do, very catered to, famous white man. And all of the yeah. privileges that came with that, and he or she was so blind to that privilege that she chose yeah. to vote. And Carrie, even the way that she remarks and comments about the gay and trans community is, like, counterintuitive to who she is. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, like, you know, he once said, and it was kind of funny, is like, uh, he basically explained that her becoming a woman wasn't, like, a life decision. It was a fucking list. And I and I thought it was I thought it was funny. He put it way better than I did. But just how I did it, it. He became a finally did his transition after right. menopause, so on and so forth. And you know, right. it's just just the right. random thing I've been thinking about. But that's that's what it's just how it goes. And then there are, there are versions of it that we don't always think about, like under demographic or under demographics. You get things like North Africans. And Indians categorically, unless they change the, the consensus, are considered white. Yeah. When they when they were doing like the survey, the, the survey that everybody says most hip hop heads, most people who um listen to hip hop are white. A lot right. of that a lot a lot of that survey came from the Bay Area, and it was back when Asians were counted as white. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like. You know, got a fact. You know, fact that in. And they go, "Hey, most people that listen to rap music are white." Say that in Georgia, right? You know what I'm saying? Say that in right. Chicago, where forty percent of the pop, where the majority of the population is black. 
Right. Sit that in BC. Sit that in Baltimore. Doesn't right. make sense. No, it doesn't. But you, but you, but like just the concept of whiteness as a vehicle for things. And you know, like I gotta find an article. There's a, a Chinese lady who wrote about how being Asian, she was able to tap into white privilege, and she got complete shit from the entire uh, Asian community, or at least those who were on the right. It, it, it's once again, it's troubling times. You know, right? Which is a weird, which is a weird thing because whiteness is probably one of the few things that. I didn't talk about on the album, but that was for a very particular reason. That's also something uh, we kind of do on tomorrow case. But like, we'll talk about race, but it's always from the narrative of talking to people of color. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's not about yeah. shaming somebody into thinking about it, because, like, none of us like shaming. No. I'm going, sure. hey, I'm going to make you feel bad, and you feeling bad is going to make you change. No. Right. That usually doesn't work. Right. Cause, well, it's like this. It will work for some. But most well, people creates, are just on a different... It creates defensiveness, yeah. yeah. No one wants to be shamed into agreeing that they're privileged. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, but, you know, she was going into it this way. Like, I grew up in a very racist city. Right. Like, incredibly racist city. You know, you know, violent and racist city. You know, to be honest. New York is the first time I've seen Latinos and blacks actually interact fully, like right. integrated interact. It's not like that in Chicago. And I'll call yeah. all my friends out on it. I have a lot of Latino friends. I've almost never been invited to a family gathering by any of them. That's just That's crazy. crazy the way shit is out there. Yeah. Like, hang out with a motherfucker. Five days a week. On the sixth day, when it's the little sister birthday party, not invited. Right. On the seventh day, we back to hanging out. And all, of, and all of the other and all the other Latino dudes I know who were there talking about shit that went on this party. Yeah, that's 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 crazy because it. I grew up the integrated way in New York, and then moving to the Bay Area at eleven, <laughs> witnessed the opposite where it was. <laughs> well, and I, and I think that goes back to kind of NASA's conversation I had about Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Cubans being kind of considered just Spanish-speaking black folks. So there was yeah. that just integration and everything. Everybody kind of intermingled, you know what I mean? Block parties, Puerto Rican Day parades. It was everybody there. Being in California, oh, you see the, the separation of, like, the Mexican community, the Spanish community there versus the black community and the kind of division and pitting against each other and yeah man like yeah honestly like it's been cool out here seeing that like in Chicago at least when I was coming up I'm 31 so I'm a little bit younger than you but when I was coming up if you were black you did not go to the Puerto Rican day parade you just did not Latin kings will fuck you up we tried one time we had nothing but Latin king gang signs thrown at us and people threaten us with violence the entire time we were in the car. That's crazy. That's so crazy to me uh, because I, I would I would not imagine that. And I think that's just my perception of Chicago being like New York in that there's a lot of Puerto Ricans and Latins mixed in with the black community. And so my basic assumption that, oh, yeah. it's going to be the same way. thing is, I've, like, I've never personally had anybody, because I've seen – Chicago to somebody proves me wrong, and I'm okay with that. 
because that would mean the world's good, doesn't doesn't present an Afro-Latino narrative uh, at any given point. You see what I'm saying? Like, I really yeah. didn't see dark-skinned Latinos. I mean, dark-skinned Puerto Ricans. So I started visiting my boys in New York seven years ago. Right. Seven, uh, like, eight, nine years ago. You see what I'm saying? No, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then I see somebody that looks like my auntie, who's light-skinned. And my cousins, you know, and I think, oh, this is simply all such as I speak in Spanish and like knowing how Puerto Rican Spanish sounds, I'm like, oh, it's a Puerto Rican lady. Right. You know, or being out here and the Dominican lady coming up to me speaking Spanish, especially when my hair, when I had an afro. Yeah. I might just have a little conditioning in it so it's a little curly. Like, they come up to me speaking Spanish. I'm like, I'm sorry, miss. I, I don't speak Spanish that well. And like, just didn't have it. And there's no right. connection to right. the communities of Chicago. Like, they purposely keep themselves disconnected. Interesting. I, yeah, I would have never uh, I would have never guessed that. That's crazy. Yeah, like, I mean, like, hip-hop is the only, is like, was largely the only bridge outside of, like, magnet schools and a few neighborhood schools, depending on where you were in Chicago, that actually bridged the, the races. You know, the ethnicities. Yeah. Like, I went to a college prep school in downtown Chicago. Same school chance the rapper went two years later. Oh, wow. And because, yeah. And because of that, my first DJ was Jewish. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The first graffiti crew I was in was almost all Mexican. You know? Yeah. You know, things like that. But yeah, my bad. Yeah. Like, I could go on the this shit all the time. Yeah, but uh, I guess back to the record. Sorry. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because okay. actually, actually... Uh, I actually want to get your get your opinions on on the record because you know it's a, it's a dense record has been worked has worked on for a long time you know like it's 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 super dense and that's what I hate about um, reviewing stuff sometimes is I feel like there is uh, an urgency of like oh this just came out and so I need to get a review in but yeah and there's stuff like like your record like Lamont's record I know is coming out soon and I've had it for a minute yeah um, and I've been listening to it off and on. And I'm still just like, yeah. man, I, sh- I struggle when there's so much content to records to reviewing it. And I think I struggle yeah. in, in that because being a rapper for so long, it's just like mm-hmm. you, don't want somebody, you don't want somebody to rush through something you spend a lot of time and thought in. And that's not to say, like, other records I review that I really dig don't have as much time and thought put into them. But It's just a different approach. Yeah, and so I think I made the comment in the review of, of Gunship Diplomacy of, like, this is a dense record. Like, it's going to take still yeah. time to unpack. Like, I know listening to it for the week and a half I listened to it, that it's, like, one of my favorite records yeah. of the year. But I'm not, it's uh, like a Lucid record, Save Yourself. That came out towards the beginning of the year. Yeah. And it's now, like, I liked it immediately, the same way I like Gunship Diplomacy. And I can, you know, I stand by both reviews. But it's like one of those yeah. where I put on I put on Save Yourself Now and I'm like, damn, this really is like one of the best records of the year. Like I do oh, yeah. put a, a lot into this and there's so much to hear and unpack that you're not uh, gonna do it's, it. it's beastly. Yeah, and yeah. that's the same with your record and Lamont's record. Like it's not anything that you're gonna be able to just or that I can just say, Oh, you know, like Hi John the Conqueror. I think I've listened to that song on repeat a few times. Because it's so dense, and I, and what draws me to it every single time is the description of where Hi John the Conqueror comes from. 
Yeah, and and I'm wanting to ask you, like, what inspired you to write that? That use those audio clips and title the song that, and and just what motivated that song? Okay, actually, wow. Okay, so there's a lady I used to work with named Shirley. I I, used to, I worked with Crane Barrel for seven years. Shirley, very interesting woman, like very sweet, reserved sister, in a in a early 60s, we would talk about things, and she could tell that I was on the path to understanding as a young black mm -hmm. man. Right. But there was still, you know, there's still room to grow. Or, you know, like one thing a lot of young brothers had to deal with is that a lot of people told us, like spoke to us in like just half thoughts about what we, what we needed to do. We never gave right. me direct. So she gave me a bunch of books that, um, she gave me a bunch of books that she was done with. Like, uh, Solo Black Folks by W.B. Du Bois, um, um, Solo Nice, the autobiography of Malcolm X, oh, and yeah. another one was the stories, the collected tales of High John the Conqueror. And, you know, I read through it a little bit. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's what's up, you know, because, like, nope, like, nobody really collect, like, it's hard to find collections of those like oral traditions. But somebody actually found as many stories as they could, you know, uh, made sure the narrative was proper and collected it. And right. like pretty much and like pretty much every black rapper you know right now, the one thing we all have in common that we rarely talk about, and brothers I'm sorry for giving up the secret, is that we all watch Dick Gregory interviews all the time. Okay. Everybody I know watches Dick Gregory interviews. If you, okay. say, if you say Dick Gregory, everybody just goes, oh, yeah. Like, there's even certain stuff I heard Bill Burr say in the stand-ups in the last couple of years, in which I know he, he got from watching Dick Gregory interviews. Oh, word, okay. You know, you know, but where I'm going with that is that in one interview in particular, he starts talking about High John the Conqueror as a story, how things would get blamed on High John the Conqueror. What was this? Right. The fights. And with that, I was like, this has to get put into something. And I needed, I needed two records, like, like, like two records that were recorded at the end of the process, pretty much, where High Donna Conqueror speaks in such a phone. Well, midway through High Donna Conqueror speaks, ATD sent me the beat, and he had sent me the beat, and there was this, you know, like when I heard the beat, I, was, I don't know why, as soon as I heard it, I went N I G G E R, nigga. And I was like, that has to be the way it started. Right. And, you know, just, just the idea that, like, people keep telling folks there's a difference between a nigger and a nigga, and I go, no. My great-grandfather is from Swan Lake, Mississippi. When he was calling a woman a whore, hoe is the only way he knew how to say it. Right. What you're talking about is the difference between somebody's ability to fully enunciate. It, right. It, there, are, there are no differences. And you're saying this to make a non-black person feel comfortable saying nigga. That's what mm. you're doing. Mm. Okay, Stop. yeah. So, like, the first uh, uh, first line is me spelling out nigger, but pronouncing it the way I pronounce it. Like, I'm saying it with an E-R every time, but it sounds like I said it with a G-U-A. Right. I mean, G-U-H. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But, like, basically, I, like, one of the first verses I wrote when I moved to New York, was Hygiene Cochran, like midway through my writing process, 
but I was recapping on like a lot of that verse. A lot of the first verse is a mix between like racial. The first verse is largely a mix of my experiences to comment on other black dudes I know who work in the service industry in Chicago. Okay. Like, you know, there are a few instances. I'm not going to, you know, put my friends out there. But after the Trayvon Martin verdict and so on and so forth, a bunch of brothers I knew were disgusted at some of the responses they got from the white friends. Or just like certain little microaggressions, little small shit that they noticed. Right. That the people probably didn't notice they said. And that's why I said the line is different when the AI likes to laugh. Like everything seems cool until some shit actually, until a divisive element comes out. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So the whole, so like the whole thing ends up being like the idea if the spirit of uh, African American heritage was to come back, come back to America, or like if it was to wake up, what would, how would it respond? Or how would I respond to it? You know what I'm saying? Right, right. You know, like, kind of like if I John a cop was sitting next to me, I would go, went for Bill of Sale barcode at the speed of DFIG. You know, three, 300 years uh, between, like, like it's 200 years, but basically more or less the 300 years between, like, a certain section of slavery to right now. It's just 300 right. years between the death of Christ to Constantine to create the Holy Church of Rome. You know what I'm right. saying? So it's almost the exact same speed. So we went from Villa Santa Barco to the speed of DM5G. And all we got was a, a palpitated to believe it. That was uh, Martin, yeah. when Martin Luther King died. And you know, yeah. like, it was that. Yeah. And that whole, that, that record basically kind of is me setting the tone to where, where I, I felt a section of um, the black community was mentally, but couldn't necessarily articulate. <clears throat> yeah. You know? I think it's a kind of cliche to say the first record off of an album, the first song is my favorite, because it's the first thing you hear, but it is, and that was that the Balcony to Bleed Online, which is what I quoted in the, in the review, was like hearing that and reading it, because <clears throat> you have the lyrics that are fan camp. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Just that whole, that whole section, I would have put more of the verse on there if I felt like I would have just been quoting the entire song, but that was... Yeah. The imagery throughout the whole song, and I think that just, that whole section just sort of slaps you in the face with the reality of, like, where where we've come as a progressive community and what we think we've done, but also just yeah. the idea of, like, in order to get progress, in order to get growth, you have to have, I mean, Malcolm, you know, Malcolm died, Martin died, a balcony, and, like, these obscene things just to get a small yeah. bit of equality. Yeah, and yeah, and we also had our history retold to us by the cowards and the and the parents who wanted to protect us from the horrors. Like right. I just after the last year heard about Robert F. Williams. Robert wow. F. Williams was the leader of the NAACP in North Carolina, and he was actually getting the charter from the NRA to have a gun club, and that gun club came together to combat night riding by the KKK. After getting oh, put up on trumped up charges, he had to flee to uh, uh, to Cuba. He had to really? exile himself to Cuba and lived in Cuba and China. I gotta finish reading up about him, but he basically wasn't basically wasn't down with how Dr. King went about it. 
But that's right. a dangerous narrative to tell people. Right. You know? Well, well it's a black too, that... Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 but no, 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 that's my point. It's just a dangerous narrative where it's, it's a neat narrative where it's just like, yo, if you remind the people that every time they hurt you, you'll hurt them back, there might be a lot of bloodshed. But at one point, either somebody's going to bring out the big guns or they're going to realize they're back the fuck off. Right. Right. And you that's what I think, too, even though even though Martin was nonviolent, he, I think, white America, and it's convenient for America to only highlight his, his sweet, like, let's all get along statements and conveniently forget all of his kind of militant fuck the government statements. Yeah. And, and, and that, Martin that's would, that, yeah, that's that retelling of the history as well. Yeah, and he also forget to talk about every all of his life, like four or five years of his life, after certain decisions, in which most of the black community didn't support him. They they never fully supported him. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still I still haven't heard about a single one of my family members ever being involved in the civil rights movement in any form. Straight yeah. fuck up, yeah. and like it was something that the Boondocks talked about first episode, first second episode, second episode, where it's just like everybody talks about how they sacrificed for the civil rights movement when we know intrinsically that might be the wrong word, but basically we know that most people weren't involved in that. Right. So right. most black folks weren't getting the hopes, but luckily there were enough of us that were. You know, even with Martin, like. He looked up to Gandhi, who was a was a racist. Yeah, oh, yeah, womanizer, <laughs> womanizer, and he didn't like black folks. But right. one thing Gandhi had on his like, and I hope somebody corrects me on this. But one thing I've I've, I've, I've heard about <laughs> is that he had the support of the Sikhs, like uh, Islamic Indians, right? Who were who are about that life. So if anybody ever really caused harm on him, you're going to have a whole whole collection of men out there to kill you. Right. So there's a certain insulation that happens when you have that. Because you can look a certain way. And none of that necessarily becomes associated with you. But right. you know, it's like if you don't but you gotta keep that like that's a part of it. Because if you're telling these people to, you know, not fight back, you are you're working off the embarrassment, plus you're working off the fact that if they fight back, you know the National Guard are gonna break gonna drop bombs. But right. you have to know. But maybe that was something that he said in private conversations. Which case it makes sense. It's like, you already know they want to kill us. If we try to fight them back, they're going to bomb our neighborhoods. Same way they did in Philly. We'll move. Yep. Yep. Right, right. Exactly. Years later. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know what I learned recently is, uh, you know, we all, uh, America loves, especially the right wing loves to quote the Second Amendment and it's Americans' rights. And, you know, the NRA never, never came to, um, uh, the defense of what's that? The cat in Minnesota that got shot in his car for letting them know he had a license to carry. Yeah, Philando Castillo. Yes, the NRA never came to defend him, and I learned through that shooting that the NRA is a, a is a racist organization, and that the Second Amendment is a racist in its roots, a racist amendment. The Second Amendment was created to allow former white slave owners to openly carry weapons to protect themselves in fear of the Black Slave Rebellion. And oh, I can see that. And it prevented free slaves from owning weapons 
for whatever reason because they were convicted of something, because there was a statute that yeah. prevented them from being able to openly own weapons, but it allowed the former white slave owners to have the right to bear arms to protect their land and their property from the feared black slave rebellion. And so it's like the the American history that's told but not totally told. Yeah, definitely, because you can't give people that much knowledge. You give them right. that much knowledge, they have something to do about it. And well, you know, we want to excuse it away. We want to say, well, it might have started off that way, but that's not the case now. Everybody can equally and fairly and fairly carry a gun. And my wife, my wife is is Polish, and you know, it's because my yeah. my skin's white. I grew, my my racial narrative is so all over the place. But I worry about yeah, yeah. getting pulled over and just having like a Latino last name. And we've talked about yeah. buying guns and openly carrying. And I was like, man, I would if I got pulled over for a traffic ticket, I would not say shit about having a gun in my car, even if I had a license. Yeah. Because, and, God forbid, they yeah. see, oh, your last name is Perez, you're Spanish, and you got a gun, what's going to happen? And just that intrinsic fear, my wife's like, you don't even do, like, like thug shit anymore. You're not doing any, like, try stuff. Like, there's no, you don't have to worry about that. And, you know, and granted, having the white white skin, uh, like, enables me to have that privilege a lot of the time to not yeah. be profiled. They're still just growing up with black family and being a part of black families. Yeah. There's yeah. just that seeing that shit happen and like knowing like there aren't Latinos or other black folks or brown folks that could have an open carry, you know, and have a weapon in their car with a license and and provide that information and assume safety. Like you're not well, going to be able to assume that. Yeah, I mean, what they uh, sorry, it's very all about. Like, I decided to start moving just because, like, one of the bars I work at, they started, and, you know, like, having a, a conversation like this isn't the greatest for people just trying to, trying to drink. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but with that, like, one thing, as soon as I saw the video or heard about what he said, before I saw the video, I felt sorry. I took a deep breath, and I was like, she just tried to act like a white man. But not try to act like a white man in respect of, like, white privilege, but thought by doing what she believed white po uh, a white police officer would have respected, it would have worked for us. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, yeah. But he was like, excuse me, I have this. <clears throat> now that you know this, white man, you know that I am as much of a citizen as you right. are. Right. But what Pretty he cool. did, yeah, but what he did was help tap into something that was there waiting anyway. Right. Because the man sitting with his kid. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right, right yeah, there. Yeah. If a man is sitting with his kid, you are not supposed to be trying to cause harm. Because if you shoot that damn kid, you will have something to worry about. Right. Or at least you would right. think so. Right. You would, you know, but who you knows? Like, who knows? Look who just became the chief strategist for fucking Trump. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, you would, you would think that, but those, like, the NRA, no, of course the NRA aren't going to come after that. Like, uh, Killer Mike should be one of the biggest dudes they support. Because he, right. flat out, is for, he's pro-guns. Right. He's yeah, pro-guns. Pro he's anti-using them against, uh, the, you know, using them against people of color, you know, in racist ways. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. But no, they, they're not going to, they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't better eye, better eye him. 
And you know, man, like it's it's crazy to it's crazy to think about, you know, just the nature of this nature of this country. And you mentioned Lucid earlier. That's one of my homies. You know, we got a track or two coming out. We already did some music. But he was one of the guys who heard the record and immediately caught a lot of the references. Right. Like, because A.M. Breakup's some cult favorite, you know, the other half's cult favorite engineered the record. Well, he mixed the record. Right. Like, I was actually sitting right next to Lucid when he recorded More Brilliant Than the Sun uh, oh, on Savior Stuff. Yeah. yeah, like we finished it, got finished drink. I recorded a track for him in Doc's 4GW's record, and he uh, just went in and recorded that. Got finished drinking beers, talking about rap. And, you know, played him a bunch of the records, you know, heard some of his shit. And, like, it's it's an interesting time, man, if you don't mind me saying this, because I've been, like, this has been something that's been, like, in all of our heads for a while. But there was a really very heavy point in which being black in the underground indie rap scene talking about social issues was taboo and not even necessarily taboo journalists wouldn't fuck with you and crowds would get fucked would get would get completely lost at you going into it i don't know if you you dealt with that out out uh portland but i dealt with that in chicago a lot man i i definitely noticed it and we, we talk about it out, out here because Portland's hip-hop scene is, A, very racist. The police have shut down a lot of venues that hosted hip-hop um, mm. because they just didn't want it happening. Um, and then, yeah. B, B, like, I, I love Doomtree. I'm a big Doomtree fan. You know, and okay. obviously, POS, Death is Black, and Mike McLon is Latino, and Death yeah, is, yeah. An, is an amalgamation, I think, of, of various things. But, you know, a lot yeah. of the other members are white, and you got Sims and Laserbeak yeah. and all that. Like, you can go to a Doomtree show water. out here. Right. And uh, you can go to a Doomtree show out here, and that shit will sell out. You can go catch Alex yeah. and Bronson, and that shit will sell out. But, like, I've I've played with Mike Eagle, and I've yeah. gone to see Mike Eagle, you know, at, at certain shows. Yeah. And it's, like, it's desolate. And it's, like, <laughs> why? Because Mike is... Mike is a thoughtful, thoughtful rapper. Like you, his shit is, yeah. hey, it's fun. It's funny. Yes, there's that comedy to it, but it's like, it's, yeah, without a doubt, it's political. It's political and it's social and it's the black narrative. A very the sad tragedy of the black narrative, and white kids don't want to hear Mike talking about how difficult it is, you know, to walk around being a black kid or worry about his son, you know, not being judged just off his skin color. You yeah, know what I mean? but they want to listen. To, but they want to listen to rap music. You know right, what I'm saying? They want to they listen to that hyped up, fun shit that you don't have to think about. But then what's also interesting too is sometimes like you don't see like, when you do get folks like Mike playing or yeah. you know other indie rap artists, you don't see a lot of the black community there. And it's like this weird division yeah. in indie hip hop where it's like if you're indie hip hop and you consider like ASAP. Rocky indie hip hop somehow, you know, or, yeah. or like Nacho Picasso or shit where it's just like smoking weed and partying and having fun. Then you'll get a lot of oh, white kids. Escapism music. Escapism right, music. Like, like I fucking love Danny Brown, and Danny Brown definitely talks about the plight of being like black and being poor and having the drug deal. But it's like I think a lot of that yeah. is is glossed over because people want to get high and get drunk and get crazy because he has those songs as well 
And so, like, I went yeah. and saw Danny Brown. It was a largely white crowd. Yeah. I mean, like, like it's I, – I hope that with Afropunk, in which case, um, those festivals, honestly, what I could tell when the direction that actually kind of sad me. I don't want to say discuss because that would be – that wouldn't be accurate. Like, the spirit of what I mean would be accurate. But right. the word wouldn't – where that was, like, the opportunity for people to – do to listen to something weird and not just fucking dress that way. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like wearing paint on your face and all that shit's cool. But if a motherfucker, I'll say nigga a lot. I, I shouldn't. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah. if, but, if, but if a brother come out there with a beat machine and a kazoo and do some incredible music and you feel weirded out because that isn't, because you don't know what to do with it yet, instead of embracing something, that's still a big problem. That is still one of those things that's systemically bad within a large swaths of the black community. Right. Like, Tomorrow King's gotten lucky because we actually have a really big black follower in Chicago. Right. right you know right, what I'm saying? Right. Like, we, like, when we, you know, but even then, like, it's still present. If you don't mind me giving this example, uh, when the album Nigger Eight Times Jay came out, people kept asking us, what do we think our white fans are going to think of it? And at one point, I went, why do you keep asking the black man what he thinks his white fans are going to think? What makes you think all my black fans are going to be cool with it? Right. Why didn't you consider my black fans? Right. Why didn't you consider that there's a kid 16 years old with the same mindset I had at 16 years old that might need to hear this? Right. You heard about, like, like that psychologically is troubling. And it permeates every permeates a lot. Like there was a point in which, and and I, I've been I might write something about it. I believe a lot of this incidentally coincides with when Obama was elected, because in like 2006, 2007, I, I remember clear as day. My friend Christina said, "I don't feel like thinking right now. I just want to dance." Escapism. Yeah. And that was when Flashadamas came, came to rise. That's when cool kids who are very talented, but I saw one of their, if not their first show, and saw them and said, these guys are doing music that you don't have to have an urban, you don't have to have an understanding of black culture to like. Right. Why? Because they focused on things you could buy on the Internet. Right. That are just fly. Right. It's fly shit that you don't have to go to a hood to get. Right. It's fly shit. It's because they're both from the suburbs of different cities. But nonetheless, so their experience is still different. But I was like, this is going to be troubling. And there's just been a kind of a a growth in how troubling that is from that from that point. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, but, but in those years, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I started seeing less Mr. List shows in Chicago. I started seeing less this and less that. You know, in Doom 3, you know, still able to pack shows. Right. Hell, like, it, and, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because even the weird old black dudes, uh, depending on which scene, only stick with each other. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if I play a, a drum machine half well and sing and wear a kente cloth, and I might be offended some people I could give a fuck. Um, and go out and do a show and connect with the right people, I could get a whole black crowd. Right. But if I do hide down the conquerors, there are going to be some people 
that are going that are going to go. I know this about me. I can't access it, and I don't want to process it. Right. But then they started talking to me about Chuck D. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it, and so it goes, you know, like, but it's, it's, it's a weird one, man. Like, it's, like when I go up to Minneapolis, run into the same shit. Like, first show I did in Minneapolis, Rich Garvey was talking about the violence going on on the north side of uh, Minneapolis, which is the, which is the predominantly black side of the city. And after doing all these cool songs, he started mentioning that. Keep in mind, Minneapolis is small. So if you're on the south side, which they call Uptown, and you're going to the north side, it don't take that goddamn long. You're not doing a huge trek. Right. And with that, when he said that, I watched half the crowd just kind of go, almost like, why did he bring this up? Like, really? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting to see, it's going to be interesting to see how that play out. Because I've seen, like, I've seen Mike's frustration. But that's my boy, Riff Napalm's best friend. They went to high school together. Oh, word. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I've been hearing about Mike Eagle's music um, since I was 20. Oh, wow. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, before he even, uh, back when he was swim team, before uh, Unapologetic Art Rap came out. Yeah, for sure. Like, the last song, last song on my album, Gunshot Diplomacy, Part of the lyrics were written to an open mic eagle beat that Rip had laying around at his crib. Back when me and him used to do shows together. Oh, word. Yeah. Like, man. We gotta, yeah. we gotta, we gotta do a part two, dude. Say that again? We gotta do a part two for an interview, like a, a come back and do another yeah. one. I think we definitely. Yeah, my bad. I am very long winded. I apologize. Yeah. No, no, you're all good. I'm long-winded as well, and it's just because there's a lot to talk about, and I want to yeah. come back, listen to the record a little bit more, and kind of go more deep into, like, track by track. Oh, please uh, please do. Shoot, uh, in that case, I'll just keep up, keep up with you. We figure out we figure out when's a good time this week or so to do that. Okay, cool. I'm going to edit. I'll, I, we'll break it into two podcasts, and then, like, an episode one and a part two of the episode just so we can kind of, like, take some time because which is what I wanted to, wanted to do anyway because the record yeah. is so dense like I want people to really realize like it's a it's a heavy record that you need to sit down and listen to it's not one of those and I had to stop doing that myself and listening to it cuz I had it on like at the gym I had it on just like rolling around um in the car or cleaning dishes and I'm like nah yeah stop and it's just going to be something where like that's all I'm listening to it'll just be on repeat yeah. and just like sit and listen to it and digest it because it's a record that deserves to be like given time to digest yeah. and listen to what's said because it's not just that happy past the time, you know, yeah. just rapping about rapping. And not only that, but like listen to the record and allow yourself to like just you know absorb the world, listen to the news, you know, watch watch you know shows and so on and so forth because there are certain things that are going to immediately absorb from there. Where you're going to yeah, go, oh. Sure. That's where that's where it was leading to. But yeah, man, sure. I definitely would love to do a part two, man. Okay, thanks. I think it was right, well, let's we'll we'll finish up uh, on Twitter uh, or whatever, and we can uh, arrange another date and time that's going to work for the both of us. All right, no doubt, no doubt. All right, I appreciate you doing this, man. You want to just shout out your like your social media shit so people can follow you on? Oh yeah. Uh, most definitely. Um, 
follow me at on Instagram. Actually, everything is Steph185, S-K-E-C-H-185, no T. So Instagram at Sketch185, the same side as Bridges. Uh, Twitter is Sketch185. Uh, traditionally, if you look at me up online, it's all caps, no spaces, SKECH185, Facebook backslash Sketch185, Bandcamp backslash Sketch185. The only thing that, well, Bandcamp.Sketch185, Sketch185.Bandcamp.com. The cowboy waves through the water Capture with kids nod to the agreement program Cause a foul down cloth to catalog them As the cause lost the symmetry in this response by Marionette leaders hollow at most Filled with a slithering visage of a broken host Buttons pushing twitching with the hand folk to glutton expand We can read mothers leaking Completely covered in flags Now how amazing is that grace? Can this race end? Will enslavement have a taste? Dragging me further as I pay I'm making a light as a crack of the wall So across the children of violence Blake stare leisures meanders Every star loses name of science Some fried thoughts of a formula stifling self can't blame no racial concrete fiction just to live within its restrictions. It's a survivalist tradition under revival drum circle of indignations. Take a street to get only armed with snark for red suffering.